Well, good morning. My name's Steve Murphy. I'm one of the ministers here at Discover, and if you were paying any attention whatsoever, hopefully you were just worshiping God, but you may have noticed I was playing guitar before, and now I'm speaking, which is really weird. It is. It's really weird. That is not normal. We don't do that. Um, the only reason we're doing that is because um, I'm going on my sabbatical starting tomorrow, and uh, very, very grateful. Let me pause there for a second. Very grateful for a church that sees the benefit of sabbatical, both for the full-time minister, but really for the congregation, and looking forward to coming back in August, just really stoked and fired up again. Um, not that I'm not now, but I mean refired up, <clears throat> refilled, ready to serve um, together. So that's why that's happening, and the reason that that still doesn't explain it, I know, but here's why. <clears throat> um, the Sunday that I come back, I'm going to be with this great team leading worship at the Irish Festival, and Jordan, our youth minister, is going to speak at the Irish Festival. And since I'll be on sabbatical, we needed to rehearse. And so we, since we were rehearsing already, we thought, let's go ahead and lead worship the Sunday before I go on my sabbatical. So that big explanation explains why you have to put up with me in both roles this morning. So um, just very, very, again, grateful to be part of a church that gets the sabbatical thing, but also gets, let's send people to this public event um, that the city of Dublin has and uh, lead worship, you know, at, a, at a, a conference kind of thing that's a festival for, for Irishness. So um, we're excited about that opportunity. We've been doing it for a long time now, and uh, we just have a great relationship with the city of Dublin. So um, also, we are just blessed to be part of a church that sees the benefit of of multiplying churches throughout the world. We have global partners who are working to plant churches and make disciples in Venezuela, in Haiti, in Bosnia, in North Africa, Northeast India, in Barbados, and beyond. It's such a great thing. And we also know that we need to continue to, to make disciples here in the U.S. And so we've been involved with... Um, starting churches in the New Orleans context, in the Cleveland, Ohio area, and definitely here in Columbus. And uh, we're going to see a quick video update here from our latest church planting partner, the City Campus Church. So uh, let's check out this video. Hey, Discover. My name is Ben Thompson. I'm the lead pastor at City Campus Church. Just wanted to give you a quick update. A few years ago, you guys believed in something that did not exist yet and invested in my wife, Shana, and I planting City Campus Church uh, here in Columbus, Ohio. So we just celebrated our four-year birthday as a church, and we celebrated 50 baptisms and, and just seen some huge impact in the, the city. And we've got a, a large population of millennials in our church and so we're reaching a generation that a lot of people believe are leaving the church in droves and, and yet God is up to something here and so I just wanted to say thank you for that partnership for believing in us uh, we've had our largest gatherings on Sundays ever in the history of C3 in the last few weeks and so God is just telling a really cool story but if you know anything about our vision it was never just about Columbus we wanted to get the DNA right here in the city uh, of Columbus and then kick it forward to the 10 largest university contexts in the country and so that's where this guy's story comes in hey everyone my name is Dennis Berkey uh, my wife Trish and I and our four kids 
are moving across the country to start a church called Ampersand Church. And we're being sent by City Campus Church. And we're actually the first of this big vision that we all have to be in the top 10 college contexts in the country. And so we're going to be moving to Austin um, with a whole team of people. So we've got four other folks coming from Columbus with us to Austin, one of the most unchurched cities in the country, actually 81% of the population claims to have no religious affiliation whatsoever, but it's also the fastest growing city in the country with 150 people moving there every single day. And so we have to be there, we have to go and make disciples in this area, and there's so many people that are just searching for something. They need something, and they're searching for Jesus, and we're gonna go there and introduce them to that. Yeah, and so we just wanted to say thank you because you invested in us, and now again you're investing in us as we invest in them and send them, and so this partnership thing is pretty cool. So we love you guys, we're grateful for you guys, and uh, can't wait to tell you the, the wins for the kingdom that happened because of this partnership. So have a great Sunday, God bless, and hook them horns. <laughs> All right, yeah. Just in case you're wondering, we're not clapping for hook'em horns. We know we're in the Ohio State context here, not the UT context. But uh, it's wonderful that they uh, understand that the University of Texas and the campuses in that area need Jesus as well. So we're excited to be part of that. Our partnership with Ampersand um, already has begun in that we are praying now. We, we want you to pray for the Ampersand Church and for the Berkeys and the team that's going to Austin to share the good news of Jesus. And in 2018, we begin our financial partnership with them that'll last for three years. Um, so we're investing financially in the uh, Ampersand Church um, as well so that disciples can be made there. So we're excited about that. And you might think, well, you know, Columbus and, Amp and Ampersand, Columbus, well, Columbus and Austin, actually, are uh, kind of far apart, right? Um, but it's amazing when you check out the demographics of the two cities, they're very, very, very similar. Um, and the, the reality is that there are a lot of people in both places who are spiritual. They have an interest in spiritual things, but they really are kind of unclear on who God is, and especially who Jesus is. There's a lot of misinformation about God um, in our whole world. So as you guys know, um, misinformation and fake news are kind of hot topics right now. Um, as this graph shows, the, the reality is that fake news outperformed, quote, real news on Facebook during the last election cycle. And that's the, the numbers to show that. But sadly, a similar trend is happening in, in our world as it applies to misinformation about God. Biblical understanding is declining, and biblical misunderstanding is growing. And I think it's fair to say that those two have crossed. I think there's more misinformation about God than there is correct information about God in our world. However, Misinformation about God isn't new. This isn't something that just started happening. We see it all the way back in the very first chapters of the first book of the Bible, in the book of Genesis. And God says, he says, you may eat freely of any fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat from that tree, you're going to die. Now that's pretty clear, right? There are all these trees. Eat fruit from any of them except this one. Do not eat from the one tree. 
Well, the devil immediately begins to muddy the waters. He takes what God has made very clear, and he says, you know, did God actually say, don't eat of any tree in the garden? No, God did not actually say that. He really didn't. The devil twisted God's words, and he still does that today. Eve and Adam by the lie, and the world has been suffering ever since. Well, that's the bad news. Here's the good news. God has clearly revealed who he is and who we are and how he, even back in those first chapters of Genesis, was all about restoring the world, our relationship with him through Jesus. And he tells us all about that in his word, the Bible. Today in Acts chapter 18, we're going to see a great example of how we can deal with misinformation about God. And again, we get the truth from the word. So we're going to look at Acts 18, starting in verse 24. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an educated man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he only knew the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. Apollos had only heard uh, John's teaching about Jesus. So his understanding, the Bible says, about Jesus was accurate, but it was incomplete. The whole message of Jesus is that humanity's relationship with God, again, going all the way back to Adam and Eve, has been broken because of their sin, because of our sin. And through Jesus, because of his death and his burial and his resurrection, we can be restored. Priscilla and Aquila, they they completed the picture for Apollos. And then Apollos left, and he he went and taught the message of Jesus in another place. But it's interesting, if you follow this through, um, just going right on to the very next verse, it says in uh, chapter 19 that Paul had the same problem that they had just encountered with Apollos. It says, when Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, Uh, we haven't even heard there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So again, Incomplete information, not incorrect, just incomplete. In the early church, many people didn't fully understand the whole truth about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit, about baptism. But once they did, they embraced those truths. Misunderstanding about God still exists today, even in the church. And the book we've been using as kind of the foundation in addition to the book of Acts for this series, um, Transforming Neighborhoods One Life at a Time, Tim Wallingford, the author, shares some interesting and sad statistics. 
Recent surveys reveal that only 41% of Christians believe the Bible is accurate, Christians in the United States. So these stats are all about the church in the U.S. 68% do not believe they have any responsibility to share their faith. 73% do not believe Satan is real and he can influence people. 60% of professing Christians in the United States believe Jesus sinned while on earth. And 30% do not believe Jesus rose from the grave. That is disturbing. Those are statistics from people who say, yes, I am a follower of Jesus. So when we encounter misinformation and misunderstanding about God, even in the church, how should we deal with it? I think that's one of the reasons we have this story in the Bible of Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos. It helps us to see some things. So we're going to look just briefly at five biblical principles for dealing with misinformation about God. This is the first one. Instruct followers of Jesus privately. We get this from verse 26. When Priscilla and Aquila heard Apollos, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. Now, to be honest, I, I think that's very different than the way that most believers confront other believers about truth today. If we talk about it at all, we talk about it in, in a way that would maybe make this verse written in 2017 sound something like this. When Priscilla and Aquila heard Apollos, they invited him to be Facebook friends. And then they blasted his theology in front of everyone. When people follow Jesus but don't fully align with your understanding, don't let that become divisive. Division, deception, and hatred are the heart of the devil. But reconciliation, truth, and love are the heart of Jesus. Now notice Priscilla and Aquila, they do address the misinformation. But also notice how they address that misinformation. They, they invite Apollos into their home. And because they live in an Eastern culture, which is much more hospitable to uh, a guest in your home than we are here in our Western culture, that probably meant that when they invited him in, they prepared a really nice meal, um, and they ate this meal together as they talked about Jesus. Now, we need to remain firm in speaking biblical truth, but we need to present it with the spirit of love and reconciliation. And that works best in the context of relationship, which works best in a private, respectful, loving environment. So first, instruct followers who are in a different place privately. Second, encourage followers publicly. In verse 27, after their discussion with Apollos, Priscilla, and Aquila, and the other believers, encourage him. They even write a note of recommendation, a public affirmation of who he is and his ministry. And this pattern allows for private discussion of theology while presenting an encouraging and truly unified church to the public. It allows Christians to recognize our differences, yet prevents those differences from becoming a negative testimony about Jesus. A few questions we need to ask are, are these. Are we focused more on winning an argument? Or on seeing the message of Jesus spread as people use their gifts to serve. Here's another question. 
Who am I genuinely encouraging, especially someone I don't always agree with? If a name doesn't come to mind, ask God to make that a priority for you. Priscilla and Aquila instructed Apollos privately and encouraged him publicly. And both of those are vital. They bring us to this third principle, defend Jesus privately and publicly. And we see that again in verses 26 and 28. There's this tension between private and public. How do we know when we're supposed to defend Jesus in public? How do we know when we're supposed to talk to people in private or in public? And I think, again, we have to follow these first principles, the one, number one and number two, which talk about a fellow believer in Jesus who we have a difference with, and we talk to them in private, and we encourage them to continue to use their ministry for Jesus. And we also need to follow not just principles, we need to follow the Holy Spirit and what he is leading us to do. See, Priscilla and Aquila defended the message of Jesus with Apollos in private. They saw that Apollos was not an opponent of Jesus. He was a proponent of Jesus who simply needed more information. Now, verse 28 is really the opposite of that. Here is a group of people. They have the correct information. In fact, they have the scriptures. It says, though, they stand against the message of Jesus as Savior. So they are opponents of Jesus. And Apollos defends Jesus in public against this opposition. Does that make sense? Now, how did Apollos defend Jesus? How did he do that in a public way? What tools did he use? Well, Apollos Apollos pulled out one tool from his toolbox. He defended Jesus using God's Word, the Scriptures. We need to use the Bible, not our opinions. Opinions are like belly buttons. You've heard this before. Everybody has one, right? While Christians are led by the Holy Spirit, only the Bible is always true. So the Bible must have the first and the last word. Apollos used the scriptures to show that Jesus was Messiah or Savior. His own words and arguments may have been effective, but God's word is alive. It's active. It's powerful. It's sharper than any double-edged sword, and it penetrates all the way into the core of who we really are inside. Books, movies, TV shows, websites, and blogs about God are prolific. And some are very helpful, some are very harmful. I think some of them focus on a specific characteristic or point about God, and they they keep hammering that home, and they help us gain some insight. So that's a good thing. But only one source is accurate and reliable and complete. It's the one book that God gave us, his word. It contains truth not misinformation, and it must be the standard. Now, here's an important question related to this whole topic. Am I adding to the misrepresentation, the misinformation about God in our world? If I misrepresent who God is by the way I live, in other words, people know I'm a follower of Jesus, but they see me not live like a follower of Jesus, then then their perception of God is distorted. 
So that's a question we have to ask ourselves. And I don't say that to produce guilt because guilt is usually a poor motivator. I say it so that we recognize the reality that people are watching. And we need to follow Jesus closely and let that close relationship bind us together as we are connected to God, which allows the Holy Spirit and God's Word to transform us. All right, here's the fifth principle from Acts 18. Continue to be teachable as you share Jesus. We see that basically in verses 26 through 28. Priscilla and Aquila set a wonderful example for us on how to correct misinformation about God among believers. But let's not miss the wonderful example of Apollos as well. Because it was communicated privately and humbly, Apollos received the correct information humbly. He incorporated its truth, and then he went out to continue sharing about Jesus. There was no division because Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos saw each other as allies, not enemies, learning and serving together in the name of Jesus. And we all need to have that learning and serving together mentality. None of us completely know everything about God as we live here on earth. God is incomprehensible. God is mysterious. We're grateful for the parts we understand, but if we ever think we've arrived or have the full picture, then we're deceiving ourselves. And it's great joy to, to begin to grasp a new, a little bit more, a new part that we didn't fully understand in this great picture of who God is and who we are. So really, I, I think the bottom line for us as we process all of this is basically two things. First of all, we need to continuously get to know God. Not to know facts about God, not to know details and information, although those can be helpful, but to really get to know God. We should never stop learning, never stop developing that relationship. And second, we should continuously help others know God. We should never stop sharing the message of Jesus. I love what 2 Corinthians 5.20 says. It's an amazing reality that we, by God's grace, have been called to be part of sharing the message of Jesus on earth. We are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Here at Discover, we desire to continue learning who God is and who we are and his plan for us and how to share that hope with others. God's truth does not change, but the way we communicate that truth should be creative and expressive as we each use our gifts to serve God. Just a few minutes ago during communion, George Goad ministered to us by playing the trumpet as my wife Teresa played the keyboard. And right now, George's wife, Donnie, is going to minister to us through spoken word or poetry. Let's welcome Donnie. It's such a privilege to be able to share with all of you, and I'm so thankful for the prompt from Pastor Steve. Um, this poem is about a misconception I've had about God, and that um, was that I could take great delight in God, but that I couldn't love him or serve him 
well enough for him to not at least on some level be disappointed in me. Um, but that's not the truth that we see in scripture. God chose us knowing our sins, past, present, and future, and he desires for intimate relationship with us right where we are. Have you heard the story of Gomer? She's the woman God told Hosea to marry. Hosea, a prophet of God, and Gomer, a promiscuous woman. Gomer cheated on Hosea. Gomer ran, and God told Hosea to chase her, to reveal his heart for Israel. God, the bridegroom pursuing his people. We are now his people, his people, me, as the book of Hosea paints accurately a harlot, worshiping idols, running from God, broken. Broken and yet wanted. I am the one, you are the one to whom the Lord says, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards. I will make the valley of a core trouble a door of hope. There she will respond as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came up out of Egypt. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me husband. You will no longer call me master. Husband, husband, God, my husband. It may seem strange, but Jesus isn't called the bridegroom on accident. He will not break his vows. He will have all of us. The Apostle Paul writes, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. I am talking about Christ in the church. Jesus left his throne to pursue us, to become one with us, to create miraculous eternal life inside of us. He gives us what we cannot give back, and great delight is had. Complete union with him is the greatest ecstasy, an ecstasy not based in fading feelings. No, Christ clothes me in his life, righteousness, purpose, and peace. He makes covenant with me. Jesus did not chase us to the cross only to realize then that we are not enough. No, he is enough. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. It's Christ who lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If this death scares you, let the resurrection embolden you. When Christ says he wants all of us, he knows that the life he offers is so much better than any death we could cling to. Lift your eyes. Morning after morning brings word of his unfailing love, and morning by morning new mercies. I see great mercy transforming me into his likeness. His yoke is easy and his burden is held by his everlasting arms nailed firmly to ours. Crucified, broken so others may be fed, poured out so others may be quenched, and in dying with him, resurrected. Every voice of darkness overrung with his songs of delight until that great marriage feast when our faith becomes sight. Thank you guys so much for letting me share with you. Let's pray. Father, what a great truth it is 
to be aware that you love us. You rejoice over us with singing. You call us your children, not your slaves. We are your friends. It's hard for us to understand when we see our own hearts that are so often prone to wander away from you. And yet we know that's why you came in the first place, because our hearts do wander. And because of your incredible, never-ending love, you were separated, God separated from God because of our sins so that we could be brought back to you in a relationship that gives us hope and joy and life. God, may that message never grow old. May our desire be to continuously grow in relationship with you and continuously share the truth, the hope that we have because of Jesus. You are good. We are blessed. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.